0: Hi there, welcome to season 4 of Meet Bridget. We're going to get right into another great episode, but first I have to make sure our amazing podcast listeners, that's you, have the inside scoop. After 3 incredible, successful seasons interviewing women about their teen foundations, we are bringing all we have learned to our community in coaching form. Go to meetbridget.com/coaching to sign up for our latest coaching program ASAP. Hot tip, it makes a great gift for a bestie, daughter, coworker you name it. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter on meetbridget.com. The link's in our Insta bio, too. Because we drop special deals and offerings for our newsletter friends. Thank you so much again for listening. We love you so much. Enjoy. What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking
1: their teenage dreams
0: into reality.
1: I was very into pop culture. So I started pairing the fact that I love pop culture. I love reading with how do I meet these celebrities? How do I talk to these celebrities?
0: Welcome back to season four of Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget COO, Kishia Rosenberg. Today, I have a real treat for you all. I am so thrilled for you all to meet Allison Mitchell, the editor-in-chief of three different modern luxury media publications, Vegas, Modern Luxury, Riviera, Orange County, and Modern Luxury, San Diego. That's right. She is a magazine editor. Teenage Me is screaming with excitement. Allison has over 11 years of experience producing luxury-focused editorial content for the nation's largest luxury media company. She previously served as the West Coast deputy editor of Modern Luxury Angelino, Modern Luxury Riviera Orange County, and Modern Luxury San Diego magazines. And she started her career with Modern Luxury Media at Atlanta's um, leading luxury lifestyle magazine, Jezebel. Allison rose from assistant editor to associate editor to deputy editor and finally to editor in chief in under five years. And her work has appeared in additional modern luxury media magazines across 22 different markets. So we can all collectively pick our jaws up off the floor in admiration and get excited because we're going to dive into how Allison got to where she is and what she was like before all of this developed. So welcome, Allison Mitchell, to Meet Bridget.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I mean, I think that
0: I'm probably not alone when I say that I've always been curious about what it is obviously like the day to day and everything for a magazine editor but also like what kind of person um is capable of achieving what you've achieved and how it kind of comes together. So, it I think it's going to be so much fun to really dive into just who you were as, before all of this came to be and then also like what got you to persist in a really competitive marketplace. So, I love to just go back to the beginning and have you paint the picture of who you were as a child and and where you grew up?
1: Sure. So I grew up in San Clemente, California, little beach town um, near Laguna, and I'm an only child. Mom and dad married for 35 plus years, went to small Catholic schools from kindergarten through eighth grade, went to a school called Our Lady of Fatima, that was just like 300 kids, 35 kids in the same grade for nine years. Um, So I think at a really early age, I was forming really close relationships just because there were like 14 girls to choose from in my class that you were going to be with for the next nine years. Um, So I loved Our Lady of Fatima. That was a great experience for me. Um, I made friends there that To this day, I still have, I'm 34 now, and I've been in my best friend's weddings that I've known since I was five years old. My very best friend Alec, we've known each other since we were four. We went to preschool, middle school, high school, the whole way together. I'm now the godmother of her daughter. So Our Lady of Fatima really kind of like laid the groundwork, I think, for forming positive female friendships and relationships. And on top of that, my mom at the same time was becoming friends with the mothers of all these girls. So even now, like those moms are kind of like my second mothers just because we've all known each other for so long. And many of those same girls I then went on to high school with. I went to Santa Margarita Catholic High School out in Rancho Santa Margarita little bit bigger, a school of like 1,600, about 400 kids in my class, which was bigger than my entire middle school. Yeah. Um, so that was like a totally different experience, just going from kind of this really small pool to what seemed like a much bigger pool, or was, um, but still, like, had these really close girlfriends by my side through those years and picked up a few more really close girlfriends um, along the way there that I... Again, to this day, like have been in their weddings, and you know my my group is small, which I think will also be interesting to talk about in terms of my magazine life yeah um, because despite the fact that I am in like a very kind of public and what people think is like a very glamorous job behind the scenes, like it's those girls that I've known my entire life that I spend my weekends and my time with um because Like, yes, they love going to fun dinners with me or going on a fun trip with me. But to your exact point, they know me pre-magazines. And um, I think sometimes when you're in the magazine world, it can be like people always want something from you because they want coverage, which is great and we're happy to do. But I love surrounding myself with people that kind of have nothing to do with my work life in in my personal time. Um, I,
0: I can imagine that, like being in that kind of position. I mean, I when I worked at Aloe Yoga for a while, and I was community manager. I started their community department, so I had a, I was doing a lot of gifting and celebrity things and stuff like that. And uh, like uh, the interest is all great because it's like that's my job to promote the brand and and you know be out there in the community and and share Aloe. But it was um, I also sort of everyone is always asking for things, and sometimes it felt a little bit like it's hard to sift through intentions and even it's a, it's a mixed thing because it's not all bad. It's not like people are just, they're not interested in you at all. And they're just trying to get to like, because of what your role is or whatever. And I'm sure like celebrities and stuff probably experience this on a even more macro level, but yeah, it gets kind of almost more important to keep your circle really tight. And it, and I think it is easier to lean into relationships that were there, you know, before things you know, sort of took off in a in a certain area. So you're an only child and going to this Catholic school where you were there for the, you know, all the way from, so kindergarten, was it even preschool
1: through eighth grade? It was kindergarten to eighth grade, okay. but a lot of the girls that ended up at this school with me, I'd also been in preschool with. Okay. San Clemente is like a very tight, small yes. community. And at that time too, there weren't I think nearly as many schools as there are now for people to choose from. So it was kind of like, if you grew up in San Clemente and your parents were putting you in religious schools, like these were probably the schools you were going to. Oh man.
0: I mean, that, it sounds like you had such a positive experience being in one place for so long. I feel like during those years though, I mean, having it be such a small group, I feel like it could go either way, right? Or that there could be some... Um, I've just heard from a lot of people where it's like, oh, it was nice when I was able to like change schools and like start fresh and start fresh. Um, but to kind of just be in the same little pod, what do you think made it more positive than like, oh, I can't wait to get into a new group of people?
1: You know, I think it's funny because I when we started talking about this podcast, I was like, I've got to go back in my mind to really yeah. think about this time in my life. And, you know, to your point, like Yes, I think overall, I would say my memories are very positive, but like it was not without the girl drama. I think especially with, like you said, being in such a small group, it was like who got invited to whose birthday party and who's sitting with who. I mean, I think there was there was definitely some of that, you know, I think what overall made it positive for me one, I was, I was into school. Like I was admittedly someone that liked school. Like I was never a kid that you needed to like be like, do your homework, sit down, get it done. Like I was kind of a teacher's pet in a sense. Like I wanted, I wanted to please people. I, I liked doing homework as weird as that is, Never math. I was like terrible at math and science, but anything to do with reading, writing, spelling from the beginning, I enjoyed, I liked, I excelled at. So I think one I just liked school in general. I liked learning. And two, I loved my teachers. You know, many of these teachers had been at this school for 10 20 years and they were like institutions. Like I had the same 3rd grade teacher that I had in 7th grade. So That's it was like cool. they, yeah, so it was like a lot of these teachers you grew up with. They were like because they were such small classes, you know, my my day-to-day regular base items were taught by the same teacher all day. Like I had a separate science teacher and I'd have like a separate PE teacher, but pretty much every other subject was taught by my main like school year teacher. So you were spending a lot of face-to-face time with one person versus high school. I didn't love having a different teacher for every single class. Yeah. Because and, and like you said, it can go both ways. But I think I liked having this main person to create a relationship with. And for the most part, I really loved all those teachers. But, you know, like you said, for better or worse, it was almost like that school was like a family. Because yeah. you just, you're spending your formative years together from five years old to like almost 14. Which is obviously all the years you're like having crushes on boys. And like, again, there's like five guys to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know but um it's funny like i think of my 8th grade graduation which because we'd all been together so long that school i don't know if they do it anymore but at the time like they would do a week of graduation celebrations like they would take you to disneyland one yeah. day with the class they Amazing. would do a beach day one day with the class they would do this surprise dance that was themed that like all the parents would go all in on and like no one knew what the theme was until the night of like they really made it a big deal mm-hmm. and I mean I can remember at that dance which was I think the night before our actual graduation ceremony I mean the guys in my class were sobbing that like it was over yeah because we had just spent so many years together I think it was a unique situation but I think because the class size was small the staff was small you know, if you didn't like it, you probably left earlier than eighth grade. Yeah. And we had that, you know, we had people come in and out over the years. Um, I think the class fluctuated anywhere from like 30 to 36. I think if you liked it and your parents liked it, like you were in it for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: that's a good comparison, even like just referring to it as like family, because anyone Mm -hmm. that's had siblings or something where it's like, oh, you have a giant conflict, but it's like that person's going to be in your house like next door tomorrow, you know? So it's like, you can eventually you're going to have to kind of at least get over it enough to like see their face and move around in the same place as them. So it's like being in a school where it's like, we're all going to be here. Um, that sense of almost like commitment to just showing up and being able to coexist and like work together enough to get through is like probably puts people in a place to be like, okay, I'm not going to do anything to, um, damaging I guess yeah, to each other. yeah. because
1: we had we're all and, in the same boat totally and I think too like the parents were very involved like yeah. it's funny because I think of like Girl Scouts I was in Girl Scouts from like gosh like first grade to eighth grade That's and the funny. only reason is because every girl in our class was in it and it was like our best friend's moms that were the leaders, and we would basically just, like, go to someone's house, eat pizza, and, like, sell cookies. It wasn't, like, there was no big, like, (laughs) Like camping outdoors. Like, no, we weren't, like, building fires. We were just, like, oh, we're going to the movies together as girlfriends, you know? It was, I think, because we also spent a lot of time with each other's families as well. It just... I mean, to this day, if I ran into someone that I went to that school with, it's like you pick right back up where you left off. Yeah. And even it's funny, like um, we've kind of made a tradition every Christmas, actually, this core group of five girls and I, we will go to dinner like every Christmas just to make sure like we all get together and we catch up with each other because a lot of us catch up with each other individually. But it's like rare that we're all together, especially now that we people are married and kids and all those things so it's like this it's a very special thing and I think that laid the groundwork for a lot of things for me in my life
0: I know I feel like because I have two daughters now you know I'm kind of evaluating the landscape of different like educational pathways you can take and there really is so much out there but I feel like you know you kind of weigh the like big school with the resources or there's like smaller schools, some school types where it's like, I can't remember what the word for it is, but like you said, where it's like one teacher can kind of be with you for a couple years and reappear again later. So that kind of continuity of the same people and keeping like the group smaller, it definitely sounds like you had the experience of that kind of smaller, more intimate experience and having it be really positive. You know, because I actually don't know if we've gotten into the experience of like going to a Catholic or religious um, school Mm -hmm. growing up. Do you feel like that impacted kind of your worldview during that time and even today?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because my parents were not Catholic before I went to this school and You know, my mom had never really grown up with religion in her life. And then her, but her grandmother was Catholic. It was just her mom that never really carried it on. Mm -hmm. But she was exposed to it to an extent with her grandmother. So that was kind of the one tie she had to Catholicism. And then my dad was born and raised Presbyterian by mostly his grandparents, but kind of fell off of it when they passed away. And in his adult life, you know, went into the business world. And I just think it wasn't a priority. But when my parents got married, I think my mom really wanted me as a child to have something to hold on to, some kind of structure, hope, belief system, I think, because she was not raised with that. And so when they were figuring out where to take me for school, she came across Our Lady Fatima. And the principal actually told my dad, you know, we tend to have to save these spots for kids that are Catholic. My parents both agreed that they would convert to Catholicism and raise me Catholic if they would let me into the school. Oh. So they did. I actually was baptized Presbyterian just because that was the tie through my dad. Mm-hmm. So I went through this like conversion ceremony when I was like maybe in first grade. Uh-huh. And at that time, I'm sure I really wasn't understanding what I was saying or doing. But I think I just knew my parents My parents wanted to be involved together in my schooling, and that school was very clear that if your child's going to go here, like, the teaching that's going on religiously should be reflected in the home. So, like, my mom got baptized when I was 10. She was in her 50s. And then my parents got remarried in the church. So they, like, fully kind of committed to this, that I think it was just important to them that I... I kind of have this in my life and thank God I have because we'll touch on it later. I've shared with you that my mom passed away when I was 28 and I don't think I would have survived any of that without having that groundwork of religion in my life. So it's been a very positive thing for me. I know, um, I know it can be a controversial topic for people. Some people feel like the Catholic church has gone through a lot of craziness. Um, And even other religions too. I feel like the cult documentaries and religious documentaries are so popular now. And it's tough because I can only speak from my experience and that's what I tell people. And like, you know, my boyfriend, for example, is not Catholic. And he, I think, has a little bit of a perception of what, you know, a Catholic school would be. And I'm like, I was never taught by nuns. It was nothing crazy. So for me, it was really positive. I think it just gave me this, Sense from an early age that there's something bigger than me and that there is hope even when things aren't going your way.
0: Absolutely. So
1: well, it's always been positive for me.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you're all right that it's like there are kind of preconceptions, but I, I feel like even just like as I said before, going through this experience of like evaluating different types of schooling and, and ways to raise your children there's honestly like there's like a backside to every different like recognized philosophy of learning out there whether it's religious or not so I think it's important to also just shine light on positive experiences and Mm -hmm. and showing that it can look a lot of different ways Um, and thank you for sharing about your mom and I excited to get into that a little bit later and how you kind of, how that's affected you um, and how she's kind of impacted you. You mentioned that when you were in school, you were really into like reading, writing, spelling from the get-go. I'm thinking of what you do now and it's like, okay, that actually, you know, that sounds like a common thread that's probably been there from the beginning and is definitely a big part of what you're doing today. When you were that age, did you have any inkling of like what you might want
1: to be when you grew up and did that change at all? You know, I think it's funny. So, I think my earliest memories of like being into reading and writing are my mom taking me to the library in San Clemente. That to this day is there and I think still looks like it did when I was like 5. Love that. Um but she always took me to the library and was always reading to me, like to the point that I would memorize books as a kid. Like, I couldn't read them, but, like, she would, like, show my aunts and uncles, like, oh, she can read this book. And it's like, I couldn't read them. I had just memorized the book.
0: Yeah. And
1: going to the library was something we always did. And she was always, always reading to me. And then from there, I think I just started reading more on my own. I used to think I wanted to be a teacher. That was probably the first thing I thought. And I would, like, line up my dolls and teach them and... That was something I loved. And then even to the point that I was like, oh, I want to be a librarian. I think it would be really fun to scan the books. Like these (laughs) are the weird things you think as a kid, right? Yeah. And then as time evolved, my dad was really into music. So I'm pairing reading, writing all the time with the fact that my father's always listening to music, is watching music shows. And I really start getting into music in probably like third grade or so. I remember my mom for Christmas was given like a Madonna cassette tape and a Michael Jackson cassette tape. And I would listen to these tapes like over and over and over, which Madonna was probably not like the most appropriate thing for a child, but (laughs) I think it just goes over your head at that age. Totally. And then from there, I really started, I'm like, I grew up in the era of Britney and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. And I started watching TRL all the time and I was very into pop culture. So I started pairing the fact that I love pop culture. I love reading with how do I meet these celebrities? How do I talk to these celebrities? And at that time, it was either on a TV show, you were watching them on E! News or Total Request Live on MTV, or you were reading about them in magazines because we didn't have social media the way we do now. And celebrities just weren't accessible the way that they are now to us. So I was fascinated with that from the get-go as a kid. And my mom indulged that hard. Like she would take me to concerts. She took me to Britney. She took me to NSYNC at the Rose Bowl. She was more than happy to, to play right along with me because I really loved it. And I should also say, I was also a kid that grew up like singing nonstop in my bedroom. So I'm either, like, reading about the celebrities or I'm singing the music because, again, as an only child, like, you don't really have siblings <laughs> You're, to entertaining entertaining myself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm entertaining myself. Um, so, yeah, I was always singing, always reading, and I think I started probably around, like, 6th, 7th, 8th grade to be, like, I really want to work for a magazine. Part of testing that out was I was on our yearbook staff, like seventh and eighth grade, and this again. Was... Ask I was like, did you do any like school? Yeah, yeah. So that? I was I was in choir for the singing half, yeah. and then I was on yearbook staff, and this was in the era of like literally cutting photos, like yes. pasting them onto forms, and then scanning Xerox. them, yeah. <laughs> like xeroxing every yes. But yeah. I loved it. That was probably my first version of ever like creating what would be similar to a magazine? Because I was literally doing layouts for like collages. Technically
0: editing, right?
1: Yeah, it is technically editing. So that was probably my first place where I was like, I love this. It's really fun. It's, and again, going back to the fact that I liked school, it was like a school project to me. It was like, here's, here's the assignment, go create this beautiful thing from start to finish. Yeah. So like a physical thing to kind
0: of be proud mm-hmm. of after with like that love you had for books and even like the library and stuff to be able to have a product that you can kind of see and have it feel I mean I look at magazines and I grew up as a, a crazy reader and stuff and I've always loved like the written form but I look at magazines and I'm like really like the layouts and stuff this is kind of like architecture in a way it's like it's it's art but it also has to like make sense and be visually pleasing and not overwhelming You know, that there's um, something very creative, but then also like organizational and, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, there's so many different pieces that go to it. So it's fun to think of you as like, you know, a young person working on your yearbook. And it's fun for, you know, the young women we work with. I think that there's interest in a wide range of different careers, right? But I have definitely found um, a lot of young women really interested. Like I've, I've worked a lot of different careers at this point. Um, but when they find out, like, I've been a model, they're, like, hyper interested in that thing. Yeah. Anything that's around, like, fashion or entertainment and stuff. Because that's just mm-hmm. our culture just really fixates on those things. But it'd be fun for someone that maybe really does have a legitimate interest in magazines or media to to know that it's, like, there are things you can kind of do to get your feet wet. Um, you know, even in grade school, like, I think that the the yearbook production probably looks a little bit different than it did when we were, you know, in middle school and high school. But there are outlets like that, even when you're really young to kind of start flexing those muscles of editing, really.
1: Definitely. And even now with the interns I have, and these girls are in college now, but I always tell people that, that I'm like, and I think recruiters tell you this too. It's like, try to draw a string through your past, right? So it's like, maybe if you want to be in fashion, but maybe you can't be a model or you, you know, can't just jump into working for some huge brand. It's like, go work at a local retail store, like get your feet wet in any way that you can. And I tell people that too, that I'm like, work for your school newspaper, write for anything outside of a classroom that will get you a byline. Like, I think anything you can do beyond the day to day of what's expected of you and assigned to you will impress people or will help you get your foot in the door in the future and even in high school because like you said I was into all of these things fashion and stuff uh, Nordstrom used to do a program called like their fashion council or something it was for teenagers and you went and you applied and you got to like go to these meetings about trends and I think walk in like a little runway show and stuff and so I did that in high school you know I was always just like itching to be around this idea of celebrity and fashion and music and pop culture in any fashion and most of that was going to concerts a lot and especially grow- growing up in southern california thank god it was very easy to do all of that yeah
0: because I we have such that.
1: great proximity to it
0: totally what would you say because i feel like there are people that love live music and there are people that don't what is it about like going to concerts um, that you really like, connected to from that age, and sounds like continuing today.
1: Oh my gosh, yes! I if there's anything I'm willing to like empty a bank account for, it's a concept. To this day, like I yeah. just bought Adele tickets for Las Vegas, <laughs> which was very expensive. But, um, <laughs> and I poured out my bank account for Era's tour tickets for yep. Taylor Swift. I mean, to this day, I'm still I'm pickier now because yeah. especially concerts are so much more expensive than they were when we were younger. But I think what I really love about it is just like this world of escapism. And that's probably what I love about the arts, too. It's like watching a great TV show or listening to a great, great podcast. It kind of takes you out of your own life for a moment. And not that I was really trying to escape anything, but there's just something to this day that seeing like Beyonce or Taylor Swift, you know, pour their heart out on a stage just like energizes me, yeah. and invigorates me. Like I am still to this day an award show junkie. I watch the Grammys. I watch the Oscars. I watch all that stuff. And I think it's like it's nostalgic for me on one level because it is what I loved so much as a kid. And it's something that's really remained constant. But I just feel like there's nothing quite like being in a venue of thousands of people like screaming a song and yeah. the person that you've listened to on the radio or on your phone um, being there live in person performing that song that either made you happy or helped you through a bad time or whatever it was. I think music to me is just like something I'm so passionate about. Yeah.
0: I feel like I am also, my sister and I particular are like really just, we love live music. It just brings us, I think honestly, if I could think of anything, I would rather go to a concert than like, like any, anything, like a a spa treatment or like going to a concert, like a really good concert. Cause it's like so many people, it's so benevolent. Like everybody's going there because they like, they want to have a good time. They want to connect to you know, it's, it's like this collective voyeurism. And I think that that kind of also applies to like people that like, like a certain podcast, like in this podcast, you know, part of it is kind of just indulging my insane curiosity about other people's like formative years. Like I'm crazy curious about that. And I think that there's a lot of people where it's like, okay, whether you're a young woman trying to explore, you know, what type of person, what type of even like young person would might go on to thrive in this career path or this one, but then also like adults, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, I'm, my life is already on this path or I'm doing this other thing. I'm just kind of curious like what this person is is like or how they grew up. I feel like media in general just gives us um, this opportunity to really indulge in yeah, voyeurism and like really peeking into other people's lives. And when it's on a stage or on a platform or in a magazine, it's like there's something kind of nice about knowing that there's a lot of people that are doing the same thing you're doing by being curious about someone mm-hmm. or the songs they're writing or you know the way that they're kind of um, looking at what's stylish right now or what are the hot luxury things, like that perspective. Um, I think it's so fun to kind of plug into. No, something. it really um, is. I'm also curious. It sounds like your parents really... Um, supported your interests and obviously like did and sacrificed a lot um, to make sure you were in the right school and making sure you kind of grew up with this very particular foundation. You said you're an only child. Did your parents like deliberately have you as an only child or what was that kind of like that just being an only child in general?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. So my parents, I'm the product of second marriages for both of my parents. So my mom was married for a first time when she was young in her 20s, lasted like a year or two, and she never had kids at that time. And I think she thought she was just going to go off and like be a career woman. And I think really had no interest in having kids. Like She kind of admits that. And then when she met my dad, my dad had two sons from a previous marriage. So I technically have two half-brothers but I never lived with them. I never really grew up with them. So I kind of consider myself an only just in terms of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. But my mom didn't have me until she was 38. Mm -hmm. And my dad was 48 when I was born. So I think for my dad, it was like, and his sons at that time were 14 and like 12. So I think my dad was (laughs) like, oh my gosh, we're starting over with this child again. Honestly, I think a big part of why my mom finally decided later in life that she did want a child beyond obviously marrying my dad and I think wanting a family with him was there was a woman that lived next door to us who had never had children and she was elderly and her husband passed away and my parents went to this funeral and my mom was like so struck by the fact that this woman didn't have children like she'd had her husband But after this long life, like there wasn't, there wasn't this peace to carry on what she'd had with her husband. And my mom says that that was like a really pivotal thing for her that she was like, I don't want to be, you know, in my seventies or eighties and potentially like be alone. Like not my mom had family and she has siblings, but you know, I think it just struck her that as, you know, she got a little bit older and she'd accomplished things in her life, that that was maybe one piece that was missing. And she always says that she probably would have had more children if she'd known how much she loved being a mom. Um, but obviously, when you have a child at 38, you're a little bit more limited. Yeah. Um, especially back in the 80s. But so, yeah, I think. Um, but for me, it was positive. It's, I. Most of my friends, all of my friends, really, have siblings and I envied that for a long and I still do envy that to an extent but I also think I think I grew up being very comfortable talking to adults because I was around adults all the time and maybe that's helped me in some manner in terms of interviewing and you know being in kind of a very like public role is that I've always kind of been comfortable um, having to stand on my own without, like, a sibling right next to me. Mm-hmm. And I liked being an only child for the most part. And I, I think my friends would tell you that I'm probably kind of the anti-only child because I think we get a bad reputation as, like, they're selfish. They can't share. It's all about them. And I don't really think I ever was like that, probably because my parents wouldn't have allowed me to be like
0: that. yeah. And Sounds again, I had a, I
1: had a lot of friends that I was with all the time, and they were like my extended siblings to an extent. So, That's
0: what I was going to say. I'm like growing up in the school that you did particularly to is almost like it sounded like the the kids that you were in school with. It's like kind of became your your siblings for a good chunk of time. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, like those relationships have, have continued to grow. I know it's funny because I feel like whether you're an only child or you're a middle child or a youngest child or an oldest child, like there's always like stigma about whatever you might be and what it might, how it might influence you. I'm a middle child, you know, and it's just like, okay, yeah, but it's, I found it to be, you know, there are elements where it's like birth order or lack of birth order can influence Mm -hmm. you sort of, but it's all just really how you, how you make it. And I think it's really interesting, your point about just being really comfortable around adults, because yeah, like you're in a role and, I'm excited to kind of get into how you started your career and the steps that you took because you made a lot of big steps and moves um, in a very serious and competitive industry very quickly. Um, And I think that maybe, you know, part of that is being able to kind of navigate confidently and independently for a lot of things. So, so yeah, so take us to, so, you know, high school, you're, you're working for a yearbook, your choir stuff, tell us a little bit about like how high school was for you. Was there, was there any point in like your young teen or late teen years where you struggled um, a lot with anything or were there any kind of like hiccups or obstacles for you during that time?
1: I think probably like every girl at that age, just insecurities. Like I, I'm 5'10". I was very tall from the time I was probably, like, 10 years old. I was always as tall as the boys, if not taller. I think I was, like, five seven by 7th grade, and you're, like, 12 at that age. So that was probably my one big insecurity with that I kind of hated at that age, being this, like, tall person that sort of stuck out whether I wanted to or not. And, you know, I think going to to school in Orange County too I mean we grew up in a very attractive community (laughs) like yeah we grew up around a lot of really beautiful people and I think I had those natural insecurities of being like oh these girls look this way or they look that way and I'm so tall and I'm not petite like these other girls and you know so some of that I think played into my teen years I think as it does for almost every girl in some manner Mm -hmm. But I don't think I really had any, like, huge issues. Maybe that I wish boys liked me more. Um, I never really dated. I was not the girl that had, like, a boyfriend. I had crushes, for sure. And I had, you know, guys that I would hang out with. But I never really had, like, the big boyfriend until I was probably, like, 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, And so I envied that at that age, for sure. I was like, why Why is everyone getting asked to prom? And, like, I'm not. And my... My boyfriend now is like, come on, like you 100% weren't. I'm like, no, I really wasn't. I just yeah. had a lot of girlfriends, and you know, I don't know at that age. I think yeah. I was just, I was very comfortable with, with my girlfriends and in the things that I liked to do. But I was not like a girl that was like attracting all the guys by yeah. me i and... I think
0: that being tall is such a funny thing, too. It's like now that I'm an adult, i I love being tall. I think it has so much yeah, I do
1: I now I do, you
0: yeah, know, I do. but i I did have that ex- I kind of shut up very quickly. I was always like lanky and stuff, but I got taller than the boys in like my freshman year of high school. And I think that I definitely felt that, you know, we focus a lot on the podcast about how common it is for the things that make us different during that time. Like those are the things that we just want to keep down and like hide. Like I don't want to be different from anyone. I want to just be just like the people that are, you know, having it all together. But it's like it's usually those things that really help us shine later on, you know. But I just remember like even my posture and stuff in pictures, like I was always kind of like oh yeah making myself smaller, you know, and, you know, physically, but probably like emotionally too um, around people. And it, I think it did kind of cause me to be a little bit of a late bloomer in that. Arena, but now I'm also kind of grateful for that because I'm like, you know what? I was really focused on the other things that were interesting to me, and and that got me where I was supposed to be at the time. So I think it's fun to kind of paint the picture because you would you might think that like, oh, this girl that is like a magazine editor, she's a beautiful blonde bombshell. You're like, oh, like yeah, you know, you see all the movies about the magazine editor girl, you might assume that that person is someone that maybe was adjusted just perfectly in the center of every friend group from day one you know and that's
1: I think you know the more that I think about it like I said I had this amazing positive experience from kindergarten to eighth grade but that high school transition was tough because I did go from here are my like core girls to now I'm thrown into this mix of a lot of different people from coming from a lot of different schools and it was hard to be thrown into that because I think in in this small school it was like you were a big fish in a little pond, and now all of a sudden you are a very small fish, mm-hmm. and that was an adjustment for sure. Because I've always been a quality over quantity type of person when it when it's come to friendships. I'm not someone that typically hangs out in like groups of ten girls at a time. I'm more like here are my core girls, and like. I spend one-on-one time with each of them or maybe two or three of us gather together. But like I was never someone that really could do like a lot of surface friendships and be, you know, kind of in the mix of all of that. I was always more like I would rather have, you know, my five girlfriends that like I could tell anything to than kind of have the 20 friends that know like little tiny bits and pieces about my life and that's no knock to anyone that has that skill I just don't and I think now I'm probably better at putting it on a little bit because it's part of my job Yeah, yeah to host things and to be in big groups and I'm comfortable with it it's not that I'm not and I was in a sorority in college and all of that but I would say like that freshman to senior year sort of time frame was definitely the adjustment of like am I shy? Am I outgoing? Like I've been so used to being with these same people and these same teachers that always know me. And now I'm having to start over and I don't really love that. Yeah. And, you know, I knew other girlfriends of mine, like I can think of the girl that was sort of the queen bee in my class growing up. She went through a major struggle freshman year of just not kind of being the girl that lit up the room anymore like there yeah. were 50 girls lighting up context the room now. changed. yeah yeah no it, it just it totally changed and I think we all found our footing as we went and I would say probably like my junior and senior year I felt much more like these are my girlfriends this is my group you know even if like the boy that I liked didn't ask me to prom I still had friends to go with I was still being included in things but definitely probably the freshman and sophomore year when you're, like, just trying to figure out what the heck this new school is about and yeah. who can I trust and who can I, you know, be around. It's All hard. It's really hard. Like, coming in hot at that time for most yeah. of too. <laughs> yeah. And you also feel like, and I feel for young girls, you you do at that time feel like, oh, my gosh, that test or, oh, my gosh, that presentation or the fact that I have to sit next to this guy in class, how am I going to deal with that? Like those things feel so big at that Uh age. And it's really hard to like calm yourself down and take a check from your emotions. Cause like you said, your emotions are just like raging at that age. Yeah. And I can remember definitely getting in the car with my mom and like crying after a day of school of like, you know, fighting with a girlfriend or like, you know feeling like I embarrassed myself in front of the class or something you know it's so funny
0: I'm as you're saying
1: that I feel like I so
0: distinctly remember I remember having a fight with my dad about like I was in a bunch of AP classes and stuff in high school and I think I don't know I was in a fight with him and I remember like calling him out and being like do you think my accomplishments mean nothing and his response was like kind of you're in high school and I, I just felt so insulted by that because I was literally like, to me, everything I'd worked so hard for, it feels big. Cause it's all, it's all, you know, you like, that's, that's your lifespan. I think it's easy to kind of like look back, you know, in our thirties where it's like, we're looking back and saying like, Oh, you know, like a perspective on these things. And now I can look at high school, but like in, when you're in the thick of it at that time, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it is all, you know, and who asks you to prom or doesn't ask you to prom and like having to give a presentation in front of all your peers. Like it is big stuff because that's what you're in the middle of at the time.
1: Yeah. No, it is. And I, I just remember too, like the high school I went to, I think academically was great, but at least at that time coming from San Colmeny where I feel like I grew up around affluent people, but I didn't grow up around very showy people. And mm-hmm. then going to this new school where it was a very wealthy group of kids that went there. I was also sort of like put off by that. It was like I wasn't used to being around kids that were like being handed keys to Range Rovers and BMWs at 16. Yeah. And you know, I was like I just want the Jetta, you know. Yes. <laughs> that was the cool car when yeah. I was in high school was like the Jetta. Yes. But um I think it was also like the level of wealth I saw in that school was sort of off-putting to me. And I I know Orange County can get a bad rap for that to to an extent. But just to speak on like where my life sort of headed from there, like Mm -hmm. that was a big reason that I wanted to go to college out of state too was those high school years of feeling like, gosh, I feel like I'm only being exposed to like one type of person in this world. And like I said, it wasn't all bad. And there were lovely, wonderful people during that time. But I think it made me feel like, is everyone like this? Like, is this what Orange County is? And is this what life is like? Like, what is beyond Southern California? And I... That was a really big reason that I was like, I'm going to go to college in Ohio. <laughs> <All> yeah. <place. laughs> so when
0: you were applying and stuff, I mean, it's so interesting to kind of hear people's, college applications are so interesting for young people because it's like, especially if you haven't been in a family where you're traveling all over the country and you even really know what the different states are like, it's kind of hard to like look at all these brochures and be like, yeah, that one, you know? When you were applying for schools, what were you kind of looking for? Did you already have a sense of like, oh, this is what I want to major in or this is the city I want to live in. Um, How did you kind of navigate that process?
1: So I knew I wanted to go to a school that was very Greek. I loved the idea of being in a sorority and maybe that at that time was my desire to be like, I want to make big groups of girlfriends and like have this big, you know, extended family. And so I knew I wanted a school that was super Greek. I knew I did not really want to go somewhere in Southern California, Um, just for the sake of, like, I was ready to be exposed to something else. So my mom actually hired a woman that specialized in helping kids with college applications. And I'm pretty sure that she still does this in Orange County. Um, It was called Ed Vantage Consulting. I'll give Uh her a little plug. Her name was Lisa. Love it. ED Vantage Consulting. Catchy. And... Basically, she came over to my house and made me take all these surveys as to what I wanted in a school. And from there, she narrowed that down to like, here are your reach schools, like the schools that'll be a little tougher to get into. And here's the schools you'll probably get into. And here's the schools that you're like a shoe in for. And then we whittled that big list down based on, you know. Size of the school. I knew I didn't want to go to a super small school. I also knew I didn't want to go to like a school of 60,000. And I went to Miami University of Ohio, which people always are like, what do you mean Miami's in Florida? There's also a yeah. Miami in Ohio. It's like 16,000. It was kind of right in the middle. And my dad is from Indiana. So I had grown up as a child going to our lake house we have in Indiana. We'd spend like two or three weeks there every summer. So that was sort of my one taste of kind of another state. Yeah. My dad's from Indiana. My mom's from Oregon. So I'd also spent some time in Oregon. But I really loved all of my friends I had at our lake house. And these were all kids that lived in Ohio. And their parents had lake houses up there for the weekend. And I was like, these kids are just so nice. And everyone in the Midwest is so nice. And so I, I applied to Indiana University. I applied to a really small school. In Indiana, because I had gone to a singing camp there in high school, more of my singing stuff. But I decided that school was just really too small. It was like 1,200 kids. Yeah. And my parents took me to Miami to visit it, took me to IU to visit it. And I just fell in love with how beautiful the campus of Miami is. Um, Anyone who's listening, Google Miami University. It's gorgeous. It's all like brick roads, brick buildings it looks very similar to Harvard in terms of being like very old and collegiate. It's over 200 years old. So I just, I wanted that experience of going somewhere else. And yes, and, this woman really helped me narrow down where I wanted to go. That's and, so cool
0: to be able to have someone kind of guide you through that process. Yeah. So when you decided to go, it's so interesting because it's like coming from K to eight, being in the same school, same group of people, and then having that definitely be kind being kind of a uncomfortable experience going into high school and having to kind of like redefine yourself there after being in a very comfortable familial group of people you're saying that that was a little uncomfortable but you then also chose a school where it was like okay new state completely new vibes like you think you're connected to the midwestern feel but to really go off on your own it almost seems like you were leaning into that discomfort a little bit from you know just separating a little bit more and and being on your own
1: yeah and maybe that's partly my only child like independent nature yeah Um, but yes to your point I mean I I knew one girl that was going there who was in my class actually at Santa Margarita but we we like loosely knew each other we never really hung out and then once we found out we were both going there it was like oh we should you know connect over this we hung out a few times our freshman year, but beyond that, we were never really like that close. Yeah, it was a huge leap of faith and i it was hard at first. It was really hard. I mean, I think the weather alone was like, what have I done? <laughs> I've moved from sunny and 75 every day of the year to it's cold by October and it's cold up until like April potentially. Yeah. And it's snowing. I mean, I had never I had never seen it snow until I went to this college. (laughs) Like, that's how sort of unprepared I was for that part of it. And it was hard. My freshman year, I definitely considered I considered transferring out to the point that I applied to Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles and was like, I'm going to go back to what I know. I can't do this. Yeah. And then I got into Loyola Marymount. I mean, I was very, very close to making this change, but I had just initiated in my sorority my freshman year and they didn't have that chapter at Royal and Marymount. So I was going to have to give up this whole idea of being in the Greek system because once you initiate, like, that's it, you're done. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I decided I'm like, I'm going to stick it out. Like, let me see how the second semester goes. Um, You know, my parents also, because we had a lake house in Indiana, were more than willing to come and visit me. Nice. And, you know, cure any of that kind of homesickness. But ultimately, I stuck it out. And I'm so glad I did, because I now have this whole group of girlfriends across the country that are in all these different states that really do become like your family when you're in college because you're living with them and that's who you have to turn to instead of mom and dad after, you know, a day in class. But um, I think that experience probably made me pretty brave in a lot of ways that I realized, you know, I can go off and do my own thing. And, and that definitely translates into how I ended up with Modern Luxury.
0: Totally. What sorority were you in?
1: I was in Gamma Phi Beta.
0: Okay. I feel like I don't remember if UCLA had that one. How do you feel like sorority life um, impacted your college experience um, and even just kind of like how you work around women today?
1: I loved it. I got into the sorority. That was my first pick. The show Greek is actually based on Miami. The guys that came up with that show went there. And Miami is super Greek. There's like 20 plus sororities, 20 plus fraternities. So it was kind of like if you were going there and you weren't probably doing sports or Greek life, like I'm not sure where you were socializing because that was kind of everything that went on there. But I would say it was a positive experience for me because I really connected with the girls that were in Gamify. And that was I knew from the moment, the beginning of Rush, that that was what I wanted. And thankfully that it worked out. But I think one thing I loved about my sorority and probably why I gravitated towards that group of girls was that after going to a school, a high school that I thought was kind of very like cookie cutter, everyone wanted to look the same way. My sorority was like very diverse. Like there were girls that looked all different ways. There were girls that were, you know, athletes. There were girls that were in the arts. It was a very eclectic group of people, and I loved that. It wasn't like you met one girl, you knew them all. Yeah. And I think, and no offense to other sororities, yeah. but, like, there can be that sort of uh, mentality. And I think even, like, the Bama TikToks now and, like, how public now Rush is, which yeah. I didn't deal with any of that when I was there. I can't imagine how hard that is now. Totally. Um I think it was easier to rush sororities and probably a more positive experience then because Facebook was like just kind of getting going when I was rushing at that age. Um I know it's a totally different ball game now, but... I know well, I feel
0: like just I was a little after, but there was like a period of time where it was like in order to get a Facebook, you had to have like a university account, yeah, like email address um that was kind of like where my sister was coming up into. And so like Facebook was really the only place where like the sororities existed. So that's where I was like kind of doing my research when I was rushing. Um, But yeah, I do think that there is even today, there's a there's a preconception that like, oh, to be a sorority girl means a certain thing. And that it's like, oh, it's really focused on like aesthetics and like popularity stuff and clicks and all this stuff. And it's like, no, there are actually some really amazing experiences that you can have in a sorority. And it's not all about that stuff. I'm sure there are sororities where that's is important and like that's an experience like people might want to have, you know, but that it's it can also be based on all sorts of different things and an opportunity to really plug into a social circle that will, you know, that can last beyond your college years and even into like your children's college years if, you know, so choose. So in college, did you, at this time, were you still kind of leaning into the magazine stuff? Were you getting internships? What was that kind of? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I I knew early on, I was like, I'm majoring in journalism. I know that's what I want to do. I want to dive more into this world. Miami structured it so that you really didn't touch your major until I think your second year. Um, so I was just getting all, I was like, let me get all these math classes out of the way that I can't stand. <laughs> and let me yeah. get all these other things, like, in math and science, I was like, I want it as far away from me as possible. <laughs> um, but I can write an essay all day long. Totally. So Miami also, interestingly, and I'm not sure if it's still this way, but if you chose journalism as your major, you had to double major. And I don't know why that was, but it was just the way that it was. So I also majored in English literature because I thought, you know, let me pick a major that I know I can handle and I like and I can do well while I'm trying out this sort of new version of what I like. So I double majored. I took like 21 credits a semester, which is a lot. Um, I was starting to get my feet wet there. I knew pretty quickly that I was like, I don't think I want to do the broadcast side. I don't think I want to do the newspaper side. I always knew While I personally love true crime and I love like hard hitting stuff and investigative journalism, I just knew I'm like, I, I can't be too close to that stuff. It's too hard to sort of emotionally go there. So I knew again, I'm like, I want to do lifestyle. I want to do celebrity, something in that sphere. So my, the summer between my, uh, junior and senior year, I interned for Ryan Seacrest, which was really interesting. And People are always like, how the heck did you get this internship? Because he has a website. He has a company called Ryan Seacrest Productions. Mm -hmm. This is what produced the Kardashians and all of these shows that we know um, that have gone on to be so big. So my internship that I was applying for was to write for his website, which was kind of like an e-news sort of website. And I applied off Twitter. Like, I didn't know anyone. It wasn't that I had an in by any means. And I ended up getting an email back um, and I went and I interviewed and I got the internship. But it wasn't like I had some big background. But I think what did help me in my time at Miami, we had a school magazine that I wrote for and I was doing like fashion-esque pieces and, you know, covering whatever band came to play at our bars or our concerts or whatever. And then I was also on something called Concert Board, where we would plan, I think it was like a fall and a spring concert. And it was like big names. We had like Goo, Goo Dolls and Kid Cudi and like Aww. cool people. So it was really fun to be part of that. And again, this was me trying to like put my feelers out of how can I sort of get into this world beyond my journalism classes, because my journalism classes were giving me the tools, but like my teachers weren't asking me to write about Britney Spears. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like that. Um, so, yeah, so I did concert board or I did our school magazine. And then I was also part of a group called Up 2010, which may or may not still exist. That was for like young journalists. And you had group meetings and they just helped you like put your fillers out for internships. Cool. I also interned for Style Network, um, I should say that was pre-Ryan Seacrest. That's yeah. probably how I got Ryan Seacrest. But the Style Network I also applied to just cold off of a website, did not know anyone. But I will say my experience um at the style network that I think really helped me and it, and I know for a fact helped me get my job at modern luxury. When I was interviewing for that, and this was a summer internship, it was unpaid at the time. I said to them, I'm like, Well, are you gonna hire other interns? You know, what kind of the lay of the land because she'd asked me if I wanted to work like two days a week and she said yeah we'll probably hire two interns and I'll have you know one here three days and one here two days and I said well would you consider only hiring me if I worked five days a week and she agreed to that so I worked 40 hours a week wow like a like a real job yeah unpaid but I was like it's the style network and the style network at the time was part of E so I was like in the same building as where they were doing E news and they were doing kiss FM and they were doing all these big things that were going on in Los Angeles so I would sit on my lunch breaks and just like watch celebrities walk in and out of this building for meetings so it Mm -hmm. was like a dream to me that I was like of course I want to be here 40 hours a week But by the end of that internship, I had like over 100 bylines on their website and that included eOnline as well. So that helped me 100 percent, I know, getting the Modern Luxury job because my internship coordinator, who I'd spent five days a week with for three months, was who was my big reference for my interview with Modern Luxury. So I would encourage people, if you have the means, if you're able, like do more than one day a week at an internship, like get as much face time as you can cultivate that relationship with whoever you're working for, because in those early years when you're trying to get your first job, like those are the people that can speak up for you. Also, just being able to walk away again with real bylines before I had graduated, I think helped me and differentiated me in a lot of ways. That is
0: such a great story and such like out of the box way to even approach the opportunity is like okay this is something it's a one of maybe three interns but to you know I think it's it's fun for young people to know that like the people hiring you usually unless you're in a super super corporate setting usually like the internships are a little bit flexible like they need an extra set of hands like there's somebody coming up with that job description. There's room for an intern to like go above and beyond and become more important than maybe Mm that the people hiring you even intended. So I think that that advice to really just like max out your internship, you know, find someone that you can connect with. And if you think it's a place that, that interests you, like keep asking for responsibility. Cause like nine times out of 10, like if there's a young, energetic, responsible person that wants to show up and take on responsibilities, busy people who are hiring interns are going to be like, yes. And how can I help you back? You know, especially if you're, yeah. if you're not working for pay, I think that there, I mean, there might actually be more laws about like not being able to. There,
1: yeah. It's different now. I think-
0: anymore, but you're probably not making that much money. Right. And I think that if it could be like, Oh man, I'm like working this crazy internship for like not really a lot of money. Know that like the people hiring you are probably aware of the fact that you're not making much money in your internship, and if you go above and beyond, I think that just in general, when someone provides a lot of value to you in any way, most people have a natural impulse to reciprocate so mm-hmm. it's like if you really go out of your way to make someone's life easier that you're working under that person when it comes time for them to give you a reference or introduce you to someone in the industry or hire you um for a, a real paid position, you know they're going to turn around and that energy will hopefully come back to you. So I love, that's such a good story that you shared. Can you tell us a little bit about like the next steps from that point and like just your start at Modern Luxury and some of like the big milestones you made there? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I graduated from Miami in May of 2011 and I think because I still was like, oh, I want to get my foot in the door more. I want to I think at that time I was like, I want to work for e-news. I want to work for that sort of world where I was just going to do celebrity and fashion. I thought, you know, where can I get a lot of connections? I should go to USC because USC has produced. I mean, they're really known for their entertainment programs, their film school, their um, communication school. So I thought, okay, I'm going to leave Miami and I'm going to go do USC for grad school. And I thankfully got in. I was very excited to get in. So I went to Annenberg that fall um, and I quickly realized after majoring in journalism and majoring in English and carrying this huge workload for four years that I was really burnt out when I showed up in the fall. And, you know, like I said, I always liked school. I was always someone that was pretty fine to do assignments and to be there. And I was never really someone that resisted that sort of environment. But when I got to USC, I realized really quickly that I was like, I would rather be at my internships. And I should correct this. I did, I did Style Network in college. And then Ryan Seacrest was when I was at USC. I Mm -hmm. flip-flopped them. But so anyway, so I started interning for Ryan Seacrest that same fall. And I was there pretty much every waking moment that I wasn't in a classroom. And I remember my first day at SC, they even told us, like, do not go get an internship this first semester. And I was like, I had already signed on the dotted line for Ryan Seacrest. And I wasn't about to pull out of that. (laughs) So I was like, I'll make it work. Yeah you know, this is the whole reason I'm here is that I want these connections and these opportunities. And at that time, especially, and I know even for our company, we do require people to get college credit. So that was how I had these opportunities at that time. So I realized during that first semester that I really wanted to be working. I already knew what I wanted to do. I really didn't want to sit in a classroom anymore. And I would have rather spent 40 hours a week at Ryan Seacrest then take some hours away. And I was really trying to get hired there. That was my, my plan. I had, again, I had really good relationships with the two men that managed me to the point that they were also became references for me when I ultimately interviewed with Modern Luxury. But those relationships are key. Like if there's any takeaway here, like that is the takeaway that forged those relationships. So long story short, When I had graduated from Miami in May of 2011, when I was kind of up in the air about going to SC for a moment, I had applied to a position with Modern Luxury at our Orange County magazine, which I know is where I am now. And sent that resume. That went into the abyss of resumes like we all do on LinkedIn or wherever we apply. And I just forgot about it. I never thought about it again. I went off to USC and that was that. And then in... January of 2012, I get contacted by, an, by this woman named Beth Weitzman who ultimately in this story becomes my mentor. She was amazing and is to this day. I still talk to her all the time for career advice. Um, I get an email that's like, hey, we found your resume on file from a search we did last spring. Uh, just kind of wanted to touch base with you, see where you're at. We have this position open in Hawaii for a magazine there. Would you be interested in interviewing? And I was at this place where I was like, get me out of grad school. I want to work. So I jumped at this. I was like, yes, yeah. I'm interviewing. No problem. And my mom was like, you're going to move to Hawaii. Are you insane? <laughs> like, what? like, we're paying for USC. What are you doing? But I just knew, I'm like, I really want this. I want to do this. So I interviewed for the Hawaii position. Didn't get it, which I shouldn't have. It was like fully running a magazine there. I, I think because of my Style Network experience, It was creating a custom publication for a shopping place there. And I think they thought, you know, that might translate. So that was probably why they considered me, but didn't get the position. I leave grad school in the meantime. I'm like, I'm out. I I want to job hunt full time, which much to my parents dismay at the time. And then... She came back to me about a month later and said, you know, your interviews went well. I know that wasn't the right position, but I have this assistant editor position in Atlanta. Would you be interested in interviewing? And I said, "Okay, like, let's do it. And my mom, again, is like, you're going to now move to Atlanta? Like, what? (laughs) You just got back from Ohio. What are you doing? But I'm like, Mom, I've always wanted to work for a magazine. And this was a lifestyle magazine that was all about people ages like 20 to 35 in Atlanta. And it was dining and nightlife and celebrity. And I mean, it was exactly what I had wanted. And so we interviewed. And again, I was like, I've got to beat out people that know Atlanta, that live in Atlanta. And I went above and beyond. I mean, I was giving her PowerPoint presentations and I was telling her too. And I think this is also a very good takeaway for people. Is I think enthusiasm goes a long way. Like people want to hire people that are excited about a company and are excited about a position, even if you're not as qualified as someone that maybe has every single check mark on a piece of paper. Because yeah. ultimately I think you want to work with people that you like. Yeah. And I remember telling her, like, you probably do have people that know Atlanta better that are more qualified than me in some ways. But I promise you, like, no one will be more enthusiastic about this more passionate about this or we'll work harder for you. Like, I promise you that. And ultimately I got the job. And I think that was, that was probably part of it is that I was pretty, I've learned that now, especially that most people will not do those things or be that forward. But I think that forwardness for better or worse has, has gotten me to a lot of the places that I've ultimately ended up because the only person that will advocate for you at the end of the day is you. And if, if you don't stand up and ask for the raise or ask for the promotion or ask for the responsibility, like normally that big busy person that you're working for, isn't even thinking about it. Like they don't know that you're itching for these things. And it might not even
0: be that you're not doing an uh, outstanding job. Like I think that that's such a good piece of advice, especially for women. It's like you could be doing such a good job that things are moving so seamlessly that someone kind of maybe forgot that like, Oh yeah, we should probably be advancing that person or giving them an additional challenge or something. So to be like your own advocate and really like step up and remember to periodically ask. Sometimes people are like, yeah, actually, it's a great idea. You totally deserve that. You know, and you won't know yeah. until you ask or if they're like, I can't afford that, but I can do this for you, you know, or I can introduce you to someone I know that has more, you know, room for growth for you or whatever it is. Like you just don't know. No one, I think that for better or for worse, there's this kind of fantasy that someone else might like discover us or, Mm -hmm. or show up and drop an opportunity in our lap. And sometimes that happens, but like consistently it probably won't, you know, and if it happens for you, it might just happen once. So I think that advice to just like continue to step up and ask for more. I mean, in five years, you literally made a series of leaps to being editor in chief. Can you tell us a little bit about how you facilitated that and why you felt confident enough to, to get those roles? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the woman that hired me, like I said, her name is Beth Weitzman. Um, She's amazing. She is like such a powerhouse and she's definitely someone that I admire endlessly for the fact that she has such a, a presence and a voice and stands by her beliefs. And she was who hired me. So I get hired on as an assistant editor with her and I'm at the time I'm under like two or three other girls. But again, this was a situation where I'm like, okay, I've now moved to Atlanta. I'd never even been to Atlanta. I like called the one girl that I knew there who was in my sorority. She had moved there from Pittsburgh and i'm like okay wherever you're living i know you have good taste i know you would live in a safe place i'm just going to lease an apartment in that building and that building ended up being two blocks from my office which okay. was fate in a in a sense so i move there side unseen my mom is sweet enough to deal with all this with me moves me down there so yeah i started as an assistant editor but very quickly i'm like you know i really love celebrity and i really love fashion like could I help curate fashion pages? Could I sit in on photo shoots? I was always asking for more than my job description, probably from the very beginning, once I kind of got a little comfortable, maybe a few months in. And within the first six months that I worked there, at this point, I think I had shown her enough of my, you know, day to day fundamental skills that she let me go after pursuing, um, the actress Ashley Tisdale, who was, like, probably best known for High School Musical, mm-hmm. she was filming a movie in Atlanta. And she, I said, do you mind if I go after her for a cover? Like, she's filming a movie here. And she's like, yeah, if you can get them to say yes. Like, okay. So I went after her for that. Her team was all over it. And my boss literally let me, like, coordinate a photo shoot for her, run the photo shoot, write the six-page feature. So it was like, I did this as an assistant. And I was under an associate editor and a deputy editor. But it was really because I asked and because I had this direct relationship with our boss. And I was always quick to, again, for better or worse, it depends on your environment that you work in. But, you know, I think she trusted me because I always was coming to her about like, hey, I've seen this. Could I pursue this? Hey, do you feel this is the right fit for us? So I was kind of Trying to create these opportunities for myself, even though they weren't handed to me and and again, you have to kind of read your environment. I'm sure there are certain corporate environments that would be like, "Please sit down and stop asking for all this stuff." <laughs> yeah, but in my field, where we're we're so creative and we're collaborative, I think she loved that I was so eager to help. and really, because I moved there knowing one person, like my whole focus was this magazine. That was how I was meeting people and how I was getting acclimated to a totally new city. So that was sort of what led to this series of promotions, was that she just started giving me more responsibilities the more I was proving that I could handle these things. And so that kind of quickly went from assistant editor to associate editor, which was really just a title change. I was pretty much doing very similar things. Mm -hmm. To ultimately... Being our deputy editor. So then I was managing people at that point. I had one girl that was under me. Um, And that was sort of my first real taste of like management structure, you know, crafting lineups for the magazine, watching the budgeting. Like I was more at a higher picture of creating the product versus just being in the weeds on like certain assignments. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it was her. It was her trusting me. And she was also the vice president of our company as well. So being the editor-in-chief was not her sole focus whatsoever. And she had been the editor-in-chief for almost 15 years at that time. But her roles in the company were changing. So I think this was also a matter of the right time, the right place to an extent. But it was also me proving myself along the way and um, really like working my butt off. I mean, I was working... I was in that office from probably 8.30 a.m. to as late as like 8 p.m. on certain days. But I was dedicated. And I mean, I, I still put in long hours, but I also loved it. And it also helps when you really have a passion to be able to work hard on something.
0: Totally. So. I feel like it's, it's that slow state where it's like you don't realize. It's one of those things where you just like you hone in. You like look up at the clock and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Versus being like, I need to stay here until eight o'clock so that I like people see me doing it. It's like, no, can you find a place where it's like time stretches because you're focused, you know, and you're doing something that you care about, um, where it's like those long hours are actually more impressive. Mm -hmm. I love it. What would you say, um, you know, you're editor in chief now, what are the biggest elements. You know, we're a company that really focuses on confidence and communication for women. Are there certain practices, beliefs, pieces of advice that um, you you really stick with or remember every day when you're doing your job?
1: I think one of my biggest mantras in in all of these things that I've done in my life has been like, what is the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say no. So like, if you ask for a promotion, if you ask for a raise, if you ask for more responsibility, like realistically, what is the worst that's going to happen? They're gonna say no. And like, yes, that sucks. But that's kind of always been my my mantra is like, that's the worst that will happen to me is that they say no. But at least I've tried. And I also feel like, you know, someone has to get the job. Someone has to get the internship. So like, why not you? And I think that was kind of the mentality I went into applying to cold internships off Twitter. You know, it was like someone has has to get there. So have the belief that it can be you. And even now in my day to day, like now that I manage younger girls and, you know, I have assistants that help me and freelance writers and interns, I'm always encouraging them like please let me know if there's a certain topic that you love, like, tell me, I, I'll make sure to try to help you give you more of those stories. You know, ask me questions, like, don't be afraid to approach me. And I think that that's something that as women, we're often, I think we feel like we have to like sit down and be polite and like be quiet and, 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 like I said, it's gone for better or for worse for me at certain moments. I think there's certain moments I probably should have sat down and been a little quieter, but <laughs> for the most part, I mean, I don't think I would be in the position that I'm currently in if I hadn't really made it known that I wanted those things because yeah. even you know, so i'm I'm at Jezebel in Atlanta. I'm editor in chief. I was like twenty five when that happened, which was a huge amount of responsibility. But again, I loved it. So I was throwing myself into it. I wanted to learn as much as I could. And at that time, I had one magazine, too. So I was really able to focus on the one product at hand. And my boss, you know, kind of really let me just hone in on this one item and do it well. Now I'm stretched a little bit more thinly, which is always challenging. But after being editor in chief, and this is where some of my mom comes in, my mom got diagnosed with leukemia when I was editor in chief there. I was 27 when that happened. And so that instantly was like my gears were shifting. And I told my boss, you know, I have to leave. I can't stay in Atlanta because my mom is ill. And my mom was at our lake house in Indiana when this happened. So they let me work from Indiana while she was undergoing treatment for like six months. And I was just under the radar working remotely before working remotely with like the big thing. But from there, I knew I I was going to step away from that role that I had worked really hard for. But I wanted to because I was this is my mother, like this is my family. And I told her, I'm like, you can let me go if you need to. But this is my priority right now. And Ultimately, they were really good to me and they were like, OK, we're going to try to figure out how to transfer you to California, which is where my parents live. So they kind of created a position for me. So that's where like the West Coast deputy editor comes in of working on our L.A. magazine, Orange County and San Diego. So I was like right under the editor in chiefs, which was what I needed personally at that time because I just couldn't handle carrying a magazine with my mom undergoing cancer treatment. But even after all of that, like, I had to fight to get back to the editor-in-chief position. And and that was in, let's see, my mom got diagnosed in the summer of 2016. I moved back to California the fall of 2016. And then I was back to fighting for the editor-in-chief position, like, the f- winter of 2018. So it was, like, almost two years that I hadn't been in that position. So, but again, like there were so many people that were in different roles and it was people leaving and this and that. And, you know, it was a matter of me again, like going to at this time, the owners of the company, because my longtime mentor had left at this point Mm -hmm. and really saying like, okay, I've proven myself in Atlanta. You know what I'm capable of. You know, I know that these publications are a little bit different because the magazines I work for here are geared more towards like the 35 and up crowd versus a younger you know 20 year old crowd and I was also like 28 telling them this and they're like you're gonna have to connect with an older crowd all this stuff which is maybe where being an only child always yeah you know talking to adults comes in Um, but yeah it's always been a fight I think none of it's ever been handed to me it's always been me creating that space and That probably always comes from the support of my parents telling me, like, to go for it and to believe in myself.
0: When in this, like, process, coming back to editor-in-chief, did your mom pass away?
1: So my mom passed away in May of 2017. So she got diagnosed um, right around 4th of July 2016 with a very rare kind of leukemia, which is a blood cancer. And my mom was healthy my whole life, like never had any health issues. She was only 66 when she got diagnosed and it kind of came out of nowhere. Anyone that's experienced blood cancers can tell you like they literally told my mom like she drew the short straw. There's nothing that really like there are certain things like if you've had radiation earlier in your life, they say can be linked to these types of cancers. But in general, It's like a mutation that happens in your body that you can't really do anything about or prepare for or test for. Um, So all of that is to say is that my mom got ill very, very quickly and very rapidly out of nowhere. I mean, this went from like, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to go to the doctor to I'm starting chemotherapy within like a three week range. I mean, it really accelerated very quickly and turned my life upside down in, uh, in an instant. So we did a uh, treatment for her at Ohio State University because that was kind of the closest big place. And so I lived back there that whole fall of 2016 until she could fly back to California. And then we continued treatment here. And anyone that's experienced a loved one having cancer, like it just destroys your immune system. You're like a baby again. You don't have any sort of defense against even the common cold. Um, so ultimately my mom passed away from getting pneumonia and it wasn't even like the cancer it was all of the things that destroy your body going through cancer but it was devastating I mean it was absolutely the the worst thing that's ever happened to me and I think as I told you prior to this like it's hard for me to ever share my story with anyone without talking about my mom because I would not be where I'm at without her like no way she always was the person that encouraged me and drove me to the appointments and moved me all over the country and you know she was like she lived for all this stuff which is the bittersweet part of me now being back in California is uh is you know she would have been so happy that I'm finally here doing it living near her and I mean yeah. I share a lot of it with my dad I take my dad to events and stuff with me but You know, the ultimate goal in me joining Modern Luxury was that I would eventually be able to do this in California. And I'm grateful that I'm going I'm getting to do it. But um, but yeah, it's absolutely shaped me and I miss her terribly all the time.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, I can hear how much she's impacted you in your voice and the way you speak about her and being a mother now. Just the idea of a daughter one day, you know, at any point speaking about her mom with that kind of respect and reverence is uh, so beautiful, you know. And I think that, you know, even though she isn't here physically to see you thriving back in California, I'm sure, you know, she she feels you here in California. And I think that's just uh, I'm sorry you had to experience that at such a young age for her and for you but i think it's so special to be able to hear these other elements that do play into the person you are the way you work the way you go about your life because we meet people every day and sometimes they're in professional settings or social settings um but there's always other layers of what people are dealing with in their personal lives and private lives and they're very much informing the way that they work and operate in the world so thank you for sharing that that piece of who you are um, with our audience, because I think it's such an essential thing to be able to connect with. Um, I'm just looking at the clock and we've just, I feel like we <laughs> could just talk for hours and hours and I feel so lucky to be able to have your time. Um, but I'll go ahead and um, round us out with like, we usually do like kind of fast five questions and a final question um, before we say goodbye Number one, we like to ask a lot about morning routines. Do you have like a morning routine that you stick to?
1: I would say my morning routine is I try to get up and walk and just like be in the sunlight. And that is I will like time myself for 20 minutes and just walk around the block and like listen to a podcast or just do something to kind of Because my emails are always waiting as they are for all of us. And I know my days tend to be very deadline driven. So I try to do something in the morning to just sort of like disconnect from that for a moment before I have to dive in and just kind of like do something for myself. So that's when I'm like, I'm going to listen to Taylor Swift for 20 minutes and walk around or I'm going to like listen to a podcast. So I would say getting that sunlight and just moving, like even if it's for literally 15 minutes really helps me. And on the days that I don't do it, I'm always like, oh, I should have gone out and done that. Yeah.
0: I love it. Uh, Number two, what is the most unexpected thing about being an editor in chief? Like something that people don't realize is part of your job?
1: I spend hours and hours going through imagery. Like that alone is very time consuming. That's probably not the sexiest answer, but It's probably just the amount of research that goes into the job. I think people tend to feel like, and I mean, even if you look at my Instagram, you're probably like, oh, she's like out at photo shoots and like going on trips and all these things. And I always tell people, I'm like, that is like 10% of my job. 90% of my time with my job is spent on my laptop, answering emails, fact checking, putting together lineups, editing stories, writing stories, going through Dozens and dozens of photo galleries to select the three images we're going to use. Um, mm-hmm. So I would just say, like, it's a can be a very tedious role. It's a very detail-oriented role. And probably just the hours and amount of research that go into, you know, creating a two-page spread that you can consume in 30 seconds. Like, there was an hour of me going through 400 images to pick those three images you see on the page. I love it. Um, yeah so that's a big a lot of, of
0: back-end it. work yes sure. a
1: ton a ton
0: so good number three who is the most like you love the celebrities who is the most starstruck interaction that you've had in your role if that okay, is time two can I have two
1: <laughs> yes okay my two are one is Mark Wahlberg because I interviewed him when I was like 22 in a hotel room in Atlanta, which sounds way sketchier than it is. But it was where he was doing a a press junket. And that was probably like my first really big celebrity interview. And it was also in person. A lot of the interviews we do are over the phone or even Zoom. Mm -hmm. So it was literally just me and Mark Wahlberg and the director of the movie he was promoting and his publicist. And I was terrified. I was so nervous. Yeah. But he was the most personable like kind nice guy to the point that when my time was up he like told his publicist to let me keep going and to give me more time so So that was like such a special amazing experience and then meeting the Backstreet Boys and getting to spend the day with Backstreet Boys like as a teeny bopper child was probably like one of the best days ever like I was probably in tears for that so In Atlanta, the magazine I worked for there, we were part of a radio conglomerate. So they would, a lot of times, like people that would go on the radio to do interviews, they would then send them to our office to play like a little mini concert. And they would film that for their websites because we had a really beautiful lounge. So the guy that did these bookings knew that I was writing this celebrity column for the magazine. So anytime a celebrity was coming, he would normally give me a heads up And, like, try to get me some time with them to just get a few quick, you know, Q&A things. So the day that he told me the Backstreet Boys were coming in, I mean, I was, like, beside myself. You know, (laughs) I am also a diehard sync girl, but I think just the nostalgia of that Mm -hmm. for me, like, if you had told me at 10 years old that I could, like, spend time with, like, Nick Carter and, like, I mean... (laughs) It was amazing. But we ended up like beyond that, they came, they played in our office, which was amazing. And then Brian Luttrell, if anyone is, you know, a Baxter Boys fan. Of course. He's from Georgia. So we ended up, uh, I ended up getting to do another feature with him and spending the day with him and his wife. And that was like next level. The The fangirl in me was just like beside herself.
0: So, so. good. Great story. Yeah. Number four, what does the perfect day look like for you?
1: The perfect day for me is a big breakfast. I absolutely love breakfast. Like anytime my boyfriend and I can go to a really good breakfast or brunch, I'm like very happy. It's by far my favorite meal of the day. And then probably like just relaxing and like being with my friends and family. Like I don't really need to go do anything crazy. I think I'm grateful for my job and the opportunities that it's given me. And I love, I love the fancy and amazing events I've been able to go to and the trips I've been able to go on. But honestly, if you ask me like what I want to do on a Friday night, I like want to watch Netflix with my boyfriend at home. Honestly, it's really like the simple things that, that make me the happiest at the end of the day and where I'm like at my most peaceful and content. I love
0: it. Number five, um, what are you most looking forward to, and how can people find you if they want to connect with you?
1: What am I most looking forward to? In the immediate, um, we'll give a nice plug for Vegas Magazine here. Uh, The new Fountain Blue Las Vegas Hotel is opening in two weeks, and I'm going out there for the grand opening, and I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be amazing. And then, like I said, I also emptied my bank account to buy Adele tickets. Yeah, um, And that's in February. So I'm super excited about that. And then obviously the holidays. And people can follow me on Instagram at mitchell 14 um, Or they can email me through my Modern Luxury email, which is amitchell at com. I love it. Yeah.
0: And then we always we like to end our episodes with the same question, but I'd like to kind of tweak it a little bit for you. If you could tell your mom one thing about your childhood that she did that has really just stuck with you to this day and that you're proud of, what would it be?
1: I think just how special she always made me feel like she now you're gonna make me cry. My mom went above and beyond to make me feel loved as a child and that was like throwing me birthday parties where she literally would get a red carpet and all my friends would dress up as celebrities with me or like you know cutting my sandwiches into certain shapes you know for my lunches like my mom made me feel loved every single day like really above and beyond and um I am so grateful to have had that because I've had some girlfriends that knew my mom and, and I had a girlfriend one time that I was having a heart to heart with about her and I was kind of crying and she was, she started crying and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for making you cry. And she said, no, I'm crying because like I've never had that kind of relationship that like you had. And even though you only had it for, you know, 28 years, like, how lucky i am to have had that so um yeah just like she was the best mom she really made me feel so loved
0: thank you so much allison this has been such a treat and i feel so lucky to have been able to really peel back the layers of you know where you came from and who you are today so thank you for sharing your story with our audience and we'll chat again
1: thank you so much and that's our show If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time.
0: Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?